Should we? Uh, I guess we'll discuss the Yoel Romero uh, lawsuit thing. Have you heard about this? Uh, no. I, I mean, I just saw a headline a minute ago that he was. My cat won't sh- shut up. <laughs> um, that Romero. Holy cow! Romero was awarded twenty-seven million dollars. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Jariah, your host with my co-host, Nick Braccia. Nick, we are back this week, prepared for the next UFC on ESPN 11. Uh, we've got some discussion to do of the last card and a little bit of MMA news sprinkled in. How was your week, buddy? Uh, it was good. It was weird to not have a card this weekend. I, I missed it. I meant to, I was thinking of, uh, of tuning in to the All Elite Wrestling card instead but for fifty dollars like i didn't uh i didn't spring for that didn't but it's a, a new you know new pro wrestling league that's keeping track of wins and losses and has more of a sports uh centric more more sports less entertainment uh focus i would have so, liked it if that were the case back when i was an avid fan um probably 15 years ago um and and yeah so no ufc card this week it does feel odd to have a saturday night to myself like my wife was shocked that we didn't have to spend it in watching the fights as we were on our baby moon in laguna beach um so yeah it feels kind of weird to have a weekend off once in a while nowadays so the last card that we talked about was it was ufc on espn plus 10 correct yeah okay dos Anjos versus lee yeah, and uh, I, I won that card, which uh, brings me to 7-6-3. and three. That's right, Nick. You're back in the lead after a bit of a streak on my part. But I'm getting I, back there, Nick. I'm ready for this week. I picked a couple. I think I'm going to get you this week. Uh, I picked a couple of underdogs last week. Uh, in uh, I believe Ed Shortfuse Herman was an underdog, and I just had a feeling. Yeah, um, that was a good call. And he was going to land. And uh, and then the other pick I had that beat you was a to- – was, uh, Total, uh, fairly blind, lucky pick of uh, I picked Grant Dawson to defeat Mike uh, Trezano. And uh, had I remembered watching Trezano's earlier fights, um, I probably would have picked him. But I didn't remember, and Dawson finished him, so I'm back on top. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, Nick. That clearly was the case. Then Grant Dawson is something special, I think, especially for a ground-based fighter. And Trezano, who... Looked really solid and, and beat a couple of prospects on his way to this bout. I ended up succumbing to that rear naked choke. I think it was in the second round. Very impressive work by Grant Dawson. Um, he's a real prospect, I think, to watch at 145 now. I mean, a fun a fun card. I mean, just touching on a couple of things. I mean, Desmond Green fairly dominated, as expected. Charles Oliveira will never have to fight Nick Lentz again. I hope not, man. Uh, uh, Vincente Luque flirted with disaster early as, as Derek Krantz charged hard. Um, but Luque's, uh, Luque's skill um, and patience won out there. He, uh, he managed to stay uh, – he managed to not pan- – he, he was, did a good job of not panicking. Yeah, uh, all that UFC experience certainly came in handy, and also some serious power on that man. So, uh, yes. What did, what did you think of, uh, of the big fights? What did you think of Antonio Carlos Jr. versus Ian Heinisch? Um, Antonio Carlos Jr., I, I was concerned that the, a loss here might come in a similar way that that Dan Kelly loss came, and that's exactly how it went, except he didn't get finished this time. Yeah, he just doesn't really have a lot of heart and doesn't really have a whole lot of conditioning. 
Ian Heinich is, you know, a, an impressive pressure fighter who can rise to the moment regardless of what's going on. Um, I'm impressed by the guy. And Antonio Carlos Jr. is a disappointment of a prospect at this point. I have no other way to put it. He's never going to be champion. And in my opinion, he's never going to be top five. He doesn't have the heart for it. Yeah, I don't. Some people, I mean, sometimes they just think um, it could be genetically. Like, I just don't think his cardio is there. I thought that, I thought that he mired effectively for the first round and won the first round convincingly. Um, and then he just gassed. Yep. He, he gasses hard in a three-round fight. Um, it looks like he's in shape. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, look, looking in shape, we've learned time and again now, that doesn't mean that you're, you're cardiovascularly going to be there, as we saw with Kevin Lee once again. I feel like I'm the only one that mentions, by the way, Kevin Lee's gas issue, and that should have been enough for me to pick Dos Anjos. I just never saw Dos Anjos come back from tough rounds, really, and, and win a fight. And I favored Kevin Lee because Dos Anjos' last few losses were to top position grapplers. But yeah, that gas tank man, Kevin Lee does not have a gas tank and he is not that durable. Um, Rafael Dos Anjos did his thing. I was happy to see it, honestly. Dos Anjos at this point, I mean, when we look at his resume, man, we pit, we both picked Kevin Lee and I think most experts picked Kevin Lee over Dos Anjos. But if you look at his resume, that wasn't even like a top five victory for him in his career. The guy's got some major, major names on his record book. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I really think at the very least, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I think he's one of the better Brazilian fighters out there I, uh, as far as his entire body of work. He's got, um, from back in the day, Terry Edom, Rob Emerson. Um, he beat Sadaropoulos back when he was a prospect. Uh, Anthony Njikawani. Uh, again, these are not major names, but then we've got Donald Cerrone. We've got Benson Henderson, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, Cerrone again. Uh, he just beat Robbie Lawler. And now he's got a win over Kevin Lee. The guy is no joke. And he keeps yeah, that's a, it's a real resume. And I think, I, I think probably Connor would knock him out, but I'm not. I'm not convinced. I think it, it all depends on whether or not uh, Dos Anjos can make it out of the first round. That seems to be kind of the, the 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 gift with Connor, right? He's extremely dangerous very early, and then he gets more less and less dangerous as the fight wears on. I think it all depends on that first round. Uh, between those two guys, because he has a pressure game that Connor would not like later in the rounds, but he's also got the kind of game that'll walk forward and take Connor's punches early. So again, it's one of those bouts that could go either way, depending on how that first round plays out. Usually, yeah, the that, you know, Joe Rogan was mentioning that you know he thinks that I think it was Rogan was saying Lee Lee really needs a Faraz Sahabi or a Duke Rufus. He needs to go to a major kind a major fight camp with sort of a a head trainer, uh, Svengali, for lack of a, a better term, or a, a mentor. I believe, and I, I might be wrong here, there, that Lee was a disciple and trained by that very beloved trainer who committed suicide last year or the year before. Uh, is it Rob Fallis? Is that his name? That's, yes. I, yeah. So, he, he is, in fact, Nick. In fact, I think uh, ever since before the Barboza fight uh, is when Fallis passed. So, yeah, he's, he's three fights in now. I mean, if you look at his record, he's one in three in his last four bouts. Um, with a fifth round TKO stoppage of Edson Barboza uh, wedged in there, yeah, it it is right around the time that he fought uh, that that he lost Fallas. So I think you're right. I think that would do a lot for him, but also some serious conditioning, man. Like he doesn't have the best chin, he doesn't have the best conditioning, and in order to beat Dos Anjos, you really have to exert a lot of offense throughout a bout. You can't afford to just be able to do that for a couple of rounds and then and then die out later. And Dos Anjos showed why you need more than just pressure to beat him. You need serious conditioning. I mean, it's not exactly apples to apples, but 
you know, the fighters that fought under Sean Tompkins before he tragically passed away did not look good um, for several fights after his death either. The Sam, you know, Sam Stout um, is, is an example. I mean, it, I just don't want to. I don't want to underestimate what it's like to have your, you know, your your mentor and close friend that you see every day like drop dead in a game in a game like this. No doubt. Yeah, that, that's a definite factor, especially if you relied on him for mental guidance as well as uh, your training camp and and kind of ordering that and structuring it. I think it's a big factor, and I do think Kevin Lee could use a, kind of a genius at the helm, like a Faraz Zahabi. I wonder if he'll make that move. I, I think being again one and three in his last in his last three bouts, and he may have been favored in all of those bouts. Uh, there's a chance. Um, yeah, I'd, it's, like, it's, to, I'd oh. like to see him go to AKA. It's crazy, Bob Cook, right? And uh, I feel like his his combination of skills um, that they they know what to do with him down there or out there, but who knows? I, I could see that. Uh, I could see Faraz Zahabi. I, I could see American top team doing, doing Zahabi, something. For with sure. them. Yeah. As far as game planning and that sort of thing. But again, his conditioning needs to be yeah. a major, major, major focus. And, uh, there were two, um, women's, uh, women, women's bouts that were pretty darn interesting. A uh, lot and Eubanks in their rematch uh, from an earlier fight that I think was an Invicta, but I'm not certain. Uh, yeah, was just threw threw down like a very good first round. Aspen Lad dominated the second round, and Eubanks uh, left it all in there in the third round, lost the decision. But uh, Aspen Lad is tough, and that was Eubanks' first was fight after moving up in weight following uh, failing to make weight when she um, uh, won a decision over over uh, Roxy McLeod. Right, yeah. Uh, Aspen Ladd is a serious, serious prospect. She is a blue-chip prospect in that 135-pound division. And Eubanks at 5'3 is probably undersized for the division. She is extremely strong at 115. Or, I'm sorry, 125. And she's, you know, she's, she's not going to be one of the stronger girls at 135. It's actually a rare case where yeah, such a contrast. And she's not that technical. I mean, uh, Roxanne was able to get position on her and out-technique her a couple of times. She just couldn't out-muscle her. But yeah. you. Eubanks is not, you know, yeah, I think she's, I mean, I, not honestly, not that different from from Kevin Lee in that she's uh, kind of a fighter without a weight, like stuck between weight classes. Yeah, that, that's that's a fair point. The, that 165 pound division is being called for, but I don't think anyone's calling for 120. So Eubanks needs to figure it out. She's got to figure it out. And right. then we had um, a, an upset. Uh, at least you had called it initially. I can't remember if you stuck with the pick, but uh, Felicia Spencer, who looks like a giant Misha Tate, just had her way with Megan Anderson. Yeah, we're realizing that Megan Anderson uh, is extremely one-dimensional fighter. She only has pretty good striking and only moving forward. If she's moving backward or if you're going to go for a takedown, you're probably going to get it. If you have good submissions, you're going to finish her quickly. She's not that good on the floor. Um, we saw it throughout her career, actually. That's where, how she's lost most of her bouts, including against... Cindy Duandois, which I uh, I think I mentioned in the last episode. Yeah, it's the reason I favored uh, it's the reason I favored her opponent Felicia Spencer, and I to be honest I favored her even going into the bout. I just didn't like that bout being a being a deciding factor in Felicia Spencer's UFC debut. But yeah, I should I should have I should have uh, stuck with my guns and stuck with that style matchup. Megan Anderson's way overrated. She had no business ever hoping to fight Cyborg, and Felicia Spencer's a legit strong grappler in that division. Um, I wonder how her conditioning will play out once girls tr start to survive that first and second round, but she is, she's, she's a prospect of that division. If you ask me. 
Yeah, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's kind of hard not to be. <laughs> They've got like, there's not that many fighters in it. That's true. Uh, that's a good point, actually. Oh, you're right. That's at 145. Oh, you're not kidding. That's not even at 135. Yeah, she is the only, the only prospect in that division. I think. <laughs> the prospect that could be her new nickname. Yeah, uh, that would be fair. The only prospect within uh, 20 pounds in either direction. We're um, out. Of, uh, <laughs> night or actually i don't actually i'm not sure if it's a day card or a night card i gotta look that up but we're out of uh out of stockholm right yes this weekend where uh the the event is in stockholm sweden um a lot of swedish fighters a lot of eastern european uh fighters on the card serbian Uh, fighters finnish fighters yeah i mean you know what i think the ufc is trying to save some money on plane tickets what it is but it's working out It, it makes for a decent card with some european prospects um, and it's also, I, I think it's particularly interesting when we see a European prospect face an American fighter who we know a little bit more about, kind of yeah. gives an indicator as to just how serious a prospect that European guy is. Because on that European scene, some of those guys go through just a ringer and some of those guys beat up a bunch of nobodies. So it, it really is kind of a, a, a crapshoot when you, when it comes to an undefeated guy or, or close to undefeated guy from uh, that Eastern European scene. So yeah, a pretty solid main event between uh, and. Uh, Alexander Gustafson and Anthony Smith. Gustafson and Smith both coming off of losses to arguably the number one pound for pound, certainly the best light heavyweight of all time, John Jones. Gustafson got finished, I believe, in the third round by TKO after suffering a groin injury in that first round, a groin injury that Jones intentionally caused, presumably. And Anthony Smith had a ho-hum decision loss to Jones, who kind of underperforms generally against guys that size. Um, Smith has been talking some trash leading up to this and, and, and talking about how Gustafson didn't have the heart to survive Jones, but he did. I would argue that Jones didn't put nearly the kind of pressure on Gus that he did against Smith. But I do think that Gustafson's mental frame is in question here. Um, he's been close before, and we know that he struggled mentally, and we know that he contemplated retirement. And now he's coming off of a decisive beating against the the, the guy that he's been chasing for years you got to wonder where his head's at in this division. What can he really accomplish here except for knocking off contenders? I'm still going to favor Gustafson, but uh, but I guess Anthony Smith can hit a shot late in the fight. I, I'm not a believer in his conditioning in Smith's, and I think uh, unless Gustafson is mentally really impaired after that loss, he should have he should have a decisive victory here. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement. Um, this, is, this is Gus's hometown fight. i got to believe he'll be elusive. Um, he uses his jab. He's got pinpoint accuracy. And it let, unless Smith can outmaneuver, uh, corner, cut him off, and slaughter, I just don't see him being technical enough to pull out the win against this level of competition. Smith's most effective as a brawler when he bites down on the mouthpiece and isn't afraid to eat two or three shots to land one. Sure. I just think Gus in Sweden will play that game. He'll stick and move. I think he very well could catch Smith with uh, hard counter shots uh, as, as uh, Smith's in pursuit. But I think superior footwork wins it for Gus at home. I think it's going to look a little bit like the Teixeira fight, um, except that Smith's a little bit quicker on his feet than Glover is. Yeah, and, and Smith probably will be more durable, uh, although Teixeira showed a lot of durability in that bout. Showed a ton, um, yeah. He got, he got hit about 400 times before he... <laughs> was yeah. that, that eventually Did that eventually, that eventually went to a finish, right? Or was that a three-round? Yeah, round? I right. believe the fourth or fifth round uh, uppercut knockout for Gus. Yes. Uh, Yes, yeah, yeah, Smith, um, I, I'm not a big believer. Like, he's actually shown heart in his last couple of bouts or, or, or in a couple of his last few bouts, but he has shown a susceptibility to getting uh, hit to the body, as we saw with Tiago Santos. Um, John Jones just kind of put him in a shell, and Smith barely threw anything, which 
often enough, you will find Smith not really throwing much until he sees that his opponent is exhausted or in trouble. Yeah. Um, I, I don't expect Gus to, to find himself in that position. I, I, I see Gus coming out with a win here. Smith has a chance, but not that their styles are different, but Anthony Smith is really experiencing um, the Matt Brown scenario where uh, through toughness and, and beating some ranked guys, um, he achieved a certain level and, and got a degree of respect. In fact, he got the title shot that Matt Brown, I don't believe, ever had. I think Matt Brown got to a title eliminator. Right. But it's at a certain point, like all the grit. It's way easier. Yeah, all the grit and the toughness in the world. Um, won't you know? Won't beat that amazing athleticism and incredible technique. So I think that you know, as as Smith is getting these opportunities against the upper upper echelon, um, he's you know he's running into all kinds of problems. Very similar to to what happened to Brown when he was when he fought Hendricks and Lawler, um, and Cerrone. I agree. Beating Mauricio Hua and Rashad Evans in two thousand and eighteen doesn't really say a whole lot about your prospect status at that light heavyweight 2009 um, it would have been a statement a hundred percent but man that's that's about <laughs> nine years too late um, so we're in agreement about the main event and in the co-main event we've got another light heavyweight who recently went up to that title shot and couldn't quite cut it Vulcan Ozdemir going up against Iller Latifi Ozdemir who looked really good coming into the UFC with uh, three straight wins um, one of them uh, two of them by knockout then goes on to lose to Daniel Cormier, Anthony Smith, and Dominic Reyes, respectively. Cormier was a title fight in which he got dominated. Anthony Smith, he was actually doing pretty well in the first two rounds until he gassed. And then he lost in that third round. And Dominic Reyes, he had a pretty close fight with. We actually uh, rewatched that fight on uh, as part of this show, you and I. And it was a competitive bout, but we thought Dominic Reyes edged it just a little bit. So that last bout didn't make him look bad at all, considering the level of uh, talent that Reyes is considered to be. But he's going up against a very different body type and Iller Latifi, a short, stocky, powerful puncher who was a wrestler, uh, who was kind of a top position uh, ground and pounder. Um, interesting matchup. I, I feel like they haven't necessarily fought uh, for other versions of, of who they're standing across in Sweden this weekend. What are your thoughts on this one, Nick? Um, this, well, first off, I got to say that between their two names, they can rival your last name on the Scrabble board. Jeez. And uh, so I love Latifi, but as long as Osmadir uses his talents, he should be able to use that reach and land more. If he can avoid the bull rush and kind of, you know, ole, uh, step to the side and kind of play the role of the matador a little bit, I think Osmadir's got the, I think he's got the tool set. Um, I thought he looked really good against Reyes. I think he's a level above Latifi, who I think... kind of over overperforms. He's got he's got great strength, but when uh you know against better competition like Ryan Bader or um you know early on against Gegard Musasi, I just don't think he's the complete package. So unless Ozmeteor makes a real mistake and gets uh um it's possible. I would never count Latifi out, but in, unless uh he Ozmeteor makes it makes a, a real tactical error. I think this is his fight to lose. And I think he'll probably take it by decision. I don't um, – at least it's possible Latifi runs into something, but I think uh, I think it's likely Osmedir wins the decision. Yeah, I, fear, I favor Osdemir as well. He it, – it's, it's, it's hard to tell with Osdemir, like, what, what exactly his deal is. His first three bouts he looked pretty good in, and he caught Serkinov and Manoa. 
I'm not sure that he would necessarily beat Serkinov again. I guess like really depends on if he can land an early punch like in there in the first fight. And then and then we saw him against progressively kind of weaker competition in his last three bouts. And he's, you know, he looked better in each bout than, than the last. Daniel Cormier he looked very bad against. And Anthony Smith he looked good early against. And Reyes it was a pretty close bout with. Um, I'm giving him the edge as well because of the size, size advantage and the fact that Latifi has yeah. been knocked out before. Ozdemir hits really hard. Um, Latifi really, like, I think his ways of winning are to just kind of ground you and, and stay on top and, and, and work from there, which is possible in this bout, I think. But I do think he'll have trouble getting early takedowns against Ozdemir, who's fought, right. uh, who's fought, you know, a Cormier who's got that sort of experience on top of some of the high-level training partners he has under Henry Hooft. Um, I'm giving it to Vulcan Ozdemir as well. He's the more powerful striker. He has a chance at a early finish, but it does seem like he gets more tired as the bat wears on. Latifi does too that well. He's not as strong or as fresh in that third round as he is in the first. And so when Ozdemir is tired and maybe there for the ta- maybe a finish is possible, Latifi's probably more tired. So I'm giving Ozdemir the edge here, but I, I can see Latifi uh, uh, landing a huge shot or, or getting a few takedowns for a decision here. It's possible. Um, yeah, I think Latifi's got a better shot than Anthony Smith does, in my opinion. Uh, I agree. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a better yeah, shot. I'd say so. I mean, it, Smith at plus 265, Latifi at plus 100. Yeah, considering the odds, I agree with you there. Um, very fair points. Jimmy Manuel against Alexander Rakic. Rakic is about as much a prospect as as, as it gets at 205. Um, training with Jim 23 in Vienna, Austria. Coming off of a win over Devin Clark, in which he saw some trouble early in that bout. Um, and, and got hurt a couple times, actually, against Devin Clark, who's not known for landing big shots. Uh, got wins over Justin Ledet and Francimir Barhoza before that uh, 3-0 and in the UFC. Coming up against kind of an aging veteran in Jimmy Manoa, who, you know, made it up into the top 10 a few times in his career, but lately has been on a bit of a tough go. I think he's 2-3 and three in his last five, 0-3 oh, in his last three. So definitely a lower level of competition that Manoa's going into in this bout than, than he's used to, if you think about it. Um, yeah, Blackowicz, Volkan Ozdemir, Diago Santos, as far as the rankings, maybe not, maybe not skill. But I do give the edge uh, by a good margin to Alexander Rakic. I'm a believer in the guy. Um, I like that he came back from some tough moments in his last bout. If he gives opportunities for Manuel to hurt him the way that Devin Clark did, it may be over quickly. But I still favor him to, to come in with a better game plan than the last time. I do think he spent some time at American Top Team, um, and that should mean a lot when it comes to game planning for this one. I'm giving the young prospect, Rockick, a decent-sized edge over Jimmy Manoa. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I mean, uh, with Manoa, he just he seems too eager uh, to slug it out and go out on his shield in his, lo- in his last few fights. Um, I think he likes being an entertaining fighter, and he's okay getting into these uh, slugfests. But the problem is he's been fighting fairly frequently, and I just think his chin's, I think his chin's going. So... I see. I see Manoa probably getting clipped early uh, in this fight. There with you. Uh, we've got Maquan Amerikani versus Chris Fishgold Amerikani, who's kind of uh, was seen as a prospect when he debuted in the UFC. Uh, what was it? Four years ago now, back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's only fought one, two, three. He's he's four and one in the UFC in the last four or so years. So I'm not sure what's taken so long. I'm not sure why he's taking these giant breaks in between bouts. But he does have wins over uh, Jason Knight in his last bout. He lost to Arnold Allen, which there's nothing to be ashamed of. 
by split decision back in 2017. This is his one fight in 2019 against Chris Fishgold, who just made his UFC debut and looked pretty good against David Daniel Tamor, who we're going to talk about later. I'm sorry, that was actually his second UFC bout against Daniel Tamor. Uh, he lost to Calvin Guitar after looking good early. Um, I th- this is this is another tough one to call. Who do you favor in this one, Nick? Uh, I I mean, just kind of based on their teams, uh, I'm going to go with Maquan uh, Amerikani. Although I um I don't pick the the I pick the fi- the fin uh, not to finish <laughs> by decision. He's a McGregor teammate. He hasn't been submitted. Choke seemed to be Fishgold's game. Um, I don't think he'll fall into that. Uh, Fishgold, you know, he trains with Patty the Batty, who's a big you know a, a big UK fighter as well as Molly Meatball McCann. But I think if he's in there with uh with John Kavanaugh, uh, Amerikani with training with Kavanaugh and all and the team that Connor's got around him. Um, it, it just seems to be a, a stronger crew. Um, and I just don't see him getting caught by uh, a fish gold submission. Um, I am. Th- this the the, by the way, uh, uh, Americani is the underdog in the fight. Is he by yeah. a good margin or pretty close? Not, not by a good margin. It's my, minus 120 plus 100 on five times. Yeah. yeah. That about makes sense. Just about a pick em. Um, yeah, I, I I favor Fishgold close on this one just because of Amarikani's lack of activity. And it's interesting that you mention uh, kind of giving an edge to Amarikani because of his team. I actually think Straight Blast Jim is a pretty mediocre team. I think that talents like Amarikani, who is a real talented guy, can come in there and still win you know, bouts in the UFC. Uh, I think he's been there for his last couple of bouts, so he's maybe one-on-one under that team. And we've got... Uh, uh, Last week or the week before, Dawson, I think it was. I think he trains with this team. Um, uh, I'm sorry, the, the guy that lost to uh, that Ray Longo wrestler a couple of weeks ago kept getting taken down. I, I, I can't recall right now. Yeah. Uh, in any case, I, I'm not a believer in that team. Straight Blast Jim is not that great of a team. John Kavanaugh is not that great of a coach. Uh, a lot of his fighters that came into the UFC shortly after Conor McGregor retired because they kept losing bouts. Artem Lobov. Kothal Pedral, um, we've got Owen Rowdy back in the day, uh, Patrick Holohan. He's not that good of a coach. This is not that good of a team. It's just famous because of Conor McGregor. That is their main talent they were able to, to bring out. Um, I'm not a believer in the team, and so I'm going to edge with Chris Fishgold on this one, who looked pretty good against Daniel Tamer in his last bout and looked decent for the first few moments against a very high-level Calvin Qatar. So we got Brad Katona, who lost to Marab Devalshaville. Brad Katona is another super talented guy who probably should have ended up at Faraz Hobbies, but ended up going to straight blast gem for some reason. And I think, like as well as as well as he's doing, I think he could do better uh, under under high-level coaching. I'm not a believer in John Kavanaugh. Well, we have our first uh, uh, first disagreement. Yep, I like it. We're starting off early. Um, we've got Christos Giagos versus Damir Hadzovic. Uh, next up, uh, arguably a pair of prospects, I think. They, they def- definitely guys with some holes in their games. Um, if you look at their loss list, uh, Hadzovic with four losses and Christos with seven. They're, you know, they're veterans. They're, they've been around the block, uh, whether it be in the UFC or outside of it. And I, I have a hard time with this one. Um, Stylistically, I think Chiagos has the takedowns to get down Hadzovic, who's a tough, 
hard-headed guy who will not give up no matter what. And then in that third round, I expect Christos to be exhausted and Demir to have a good a good bit of heart and a good bit of killer instinct left in him to possibly finish that bout. I think Demir's previously won a bout in the third round after getting dominated for a couple of rounds. Um, I'm I'm gonna give the very slightest of edges to Chiagos, but I could see my opinion changing on this pick based on the weigh-in or something. They're similarly sized. I, I just like Chiagos early. I think he's te- fairly technical standing up, which Demir is as well. But I think that Chiagos will be able to get takedowns in the first couple of rounds at least, where Demir has shown a bit of a weakness in his defense. Interesting. I just think Demir Hadzovic has fought better competition, and I thought that his his third round KO of Marcin held uh, after losing the first two rounds and then perfectly timing a knee. Um, that's just that's just the kind of play that, that Christos Chiagos has not um, has yeah. not made. So I'm going to go with Demir uh, Hadzovic on this. I hear you there. Um, couldn't, uh, yeah, we, couldn't have our second. we have a second one in a row. I like it. Uh, Daniel Tamor versus Sung Binjo. Tamor's had three UFC bouts now. He's the older brother of David Tamor, who's a, a, a more yeah. legit prospect, I would say. Um, he's fighting Sing, uh, Sung Binjo, who's a South Korean fighter, 27 years old, nine and oh, um, you know, not exactly fighting the highest level of competition. So we've got kind of an undefeated guy entering the UFC versus a guy who's kind of seen it all in losses. What do you favor in this one, Nick? Um, you know, I watched some tape on Sung Bin Jo, and it's hard to tell because I don't really know much about the guys he was fighting. What I do know is this. He's extremely athletic and strong with a great sprawl. He has a really nasty tie plum. Um, he throws mean knees in it, and he seems to end up in top position a lot and just has nasty, nasty elbows from mount, elbows from side control. And uh, he's a finisher and he just has a he looks like he has a mean streak, a bloodthirsty streak about him. And I mean, Tamor hasn't shown that he's of uh, of UFC level, to be honest, in his uh, in his bouts. So it's, you know, we'll 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 see how good Sung Bin Joe is when he gets in there. But based on the footage that I saw versus the performances I've seen by Tamor, um, I've got to go with, with Sung Bin Joe. He seems like he's got tons of confidence. Uh, multiple weapons and just likes to hurt people. Yeah, Sungbin actually um, in his very last bout he got uh, sh- uh, calf kicked a lot of times in that second or third round. It looked like he was ready to, to go down, and then got a knockout in the following round. I think it was the fourth round. Um, so he showed some heart in that way, even though he was kind of getting you know kind of getting hand kind of getting it handed to him a little bit by a seven and four guy. Um, yeah, Tamer hasn't gotten the wins. I know he's got a pretty good team that he trains with, but I, I'm going to favor Sung Bin Joe because of his size advantage and because of the fact that he hasn't really known how to lo- lose. Like, like he doesn't. He, he has a certain level of confidence about him that I expect can play a factor here. Tamer really gets exhausted in that second round. And in that first round, if you don't give him much of a chance to land anything major, then you should be okay. He's explosive early, but he's 5'5", five five and, and he gets exhausted. So I, I favor Sung Bin Joe, but we still haven't seen I, – I haven't seen any semblance of a ground game from the guy. Um, just didn't seem to have gone to the ground a whole lot in his bouts. Um, and he does have some serious power, so I can see him getting a second or third round knockout here against Daniel Tamar, even though I do kind of like the guy. I think he's got a fun style. Sergey uh, Kad- Kandosko versus Rostam Akman. Uh, Akman, I believe, is a local Swedish fighter. Uh, who's six and zero? Oh. 
And Sergey, who's got quite a bit more experience at 26-5-1, is from Russia, Moscow, uh, Moscow, Russia. Um, I am giving the edge to Sergey here. I just think he's got a lot more experience, and Ralston seems to have some power in his hands. Uh, he's going to have a bit of a size disadvantage here, and I think um, I think that he goes for takedowns, which can be dangerous against Sergey, who uh, or I'm, I'm dangerous for Sergey, who you know he can get taken down in bouts. I'm going to favor Sergey here as the bigger man who has you know a boatload of experience, even though he's the one traveling into the country. But I could see Akman out wrestling him for a decision. Um, I'm going to go with Akman. Great. We, we've got multiple points of disparity. Did you watch tape? What is it that makes you favor? Um, I'm looking at his record. I just remember seeing in the research I did, I feel like he's got uh, more ways to win, more, more in diverse finishes, if I recall. And uh, they're pretty closely uh, – the odds are pretty tight on this one. I just, I just have a feeling he's going to get a finish. Fair enough. Um, I like it bold. Uh, is that fight a pick em? I think it probably should no, be. It's, it's uh, I mean, it's, no, uh, not, it's one, uh, minus 165 plus 145. Uh, yeah, Akman's a bit of an underdog. Sorry. Kandoshko. Uh, I believe that's how you say his name. I, I should have been prepared. Um, he is a bit of a favorite probably because of the experience. Yep. Next, we got a couple of uh, vet, well, a real vet in Antonia Avenger um, taking on uh, Lena Landsberg. Uh, two women that fought Cyborg, right? Yes. Uh, I think they've got a couple of common opponents, including Aspen Ladd, Yana Kunitskaya. They've actually right. they, they've actually fought a lot of the same people um, in the last couple of years, last few years. Um, interesting matchup. I. I favor Evinger, I guess, by a close margin. They they seem similarly styled. I feel like Evinger is at a point in her career where she's really on her way out mentally, maybe physically as well, at 37 years old. Um, I don't necessarily think Tonya's lived the most healthy lifestyle. I, I just don't get that kind of impression. So I, I, I don't know that she's going to look too great late in her career. Whereas Lena Landsberg, also 37 years old, but she's got quite a bit less MMA miles on her. Um I, I, do, I do favor Tanya because she looked pretty decent against Lant, uh, against Aspen Ladd very early, I guess, and because she was able to uh, out-hustle Kunitskaya, where Kunitskaya was able to beat Landsberg fairly decisively, I believe. Um, I favor so it took it from Cyborg on short notice for a while. <coughs> Excuse me? Uh, Evinger hung with Cyborg for a while on short notice, if I recall. Yeah, I, I, I hung – I mean – Evinger did for three rounds, I think. I don't know if hung is the right term. Survived. <laughs> yeah. So, so she, she got finished in the second round, whereas Tony Evinger lasted a bit longer, making it into the third round against Cyborg. But Aspen Land was able to finish uh, Tony Evinger in the first with ground and pound. And I think that's one of Aspen Land's strongest uh, positions is that ground and pound position. She's a killer there. So we're both, we're both going to go with Evinger, but not confidently. Yeah, I, I, I'm there with you. Steve, Next one, this is one of the more interesting fights on the card, from my point of view. Uh, yeah, um, I, I don't know that I'm a big believer in either of these guys becoming real prospects, but I could see it being an, an interesting kind of close bout. And that Stephen Ray, who's been more, you know, more active lately, uh, you know, has more of a spotty record in the UFC, whereas if you look at Leonardo Santos' record, it looks really good. But he finished, he finished Kevin Lee. That's right, Efraim Escadero, Norman Park. Uh, he had a majority draw against, apparently. Um, yeah, he's been fighting the UFC since 2013, and he's only got he one. Fought, two, he hasn't fought in three years. He's got six bouts. 
and he's been fighting in the UFC for six years. Yeah, um, he hasn't been around. But he is associated with that Novo and Yale camp, and I'd imagine that he's constantly training against you know some of the better guys uh, in Brazil. I'm yeah. going to give him the edge because Stevie Ray struggles even against like outgoing guys like uh, like Ross Pearson and, and Joe Lazan. Even though yeah. I know he beat those guys, they were extremely close decisions. One was one was a majority, one was a split decision. Yeah. And those um, are those are guys with miles. Yeah, big time. Um, I'm picking just quick through the rest of this. I'm taking uh, Frank Camacho over Nick Hine. Who do you have there? Just real quick, do you have Santos as well? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, thought, I thought when I said yes, when I said he finished Kevin Lee, I thought that that was that's all. That, that's all. That's funny. Um, I, I don't know. Lately, finishing Kevin Lee is not not exactly the biggest accomplishment. Wild card is it's been three years since he fought, but he's his. You know, his resume is just way better than Stevie Ray's. I agree. I agree. Despite the lack of uh, of activity. Um, you were saying Frank Camacho over Nick Hine. Yes. Um, what do you have? Um, I've got Camacho as well by a fairly close margin. I think Hine just strikes with his short, stubby arms, and he probably shouldn't. And Camacho's coming down at 155 after fighting the yep. much bigger Jeff Neal. Um, but by the way, can you not talk pejoratively about short, stubby arms? Thanks. So, um, not even offensive. He should just use his <laughs> judo like he's talented for, and he should use it and stop trying to strike with much longer-limbed guys. I know, but those of us with T-Rex arms are sensitive about it. I hear you there. And and you know what, Nick? I will be more sensitive about it. Apologies. I appreciate that, <laughs> you long-limbed bastard. All right, so <laughs> we've got a... Andy, when it comes to reaching stuff, including people's heads from across the ring. <laughs> we've got a Duda Santa uh, taking on B. Malecki. Um Duda Santa comes from she she's from that camp that Tiago Santos and Cowboy Oliveira are in, mm-hmm. <laughs> and for that and for that reason, even though she's the underdog, I'm going to pick her over uh, over B Malucky, who I think was on tough. Yeah. Um, I just got to believe. I don't know if you're if you go to a gym, if you go to the gym where those those like psycho monsters are. Um, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna believe that something rubs off on you, and that yeah. Duda and that Duda Santa is going to be uh, one bad woman. But we'll see. yeah, on, on paper, this one is uh, really favors Bay Maliki because I think she's like a Muay Thai champion and has all this Muay Thai experience even before she amassed her combined three and one record in the UFC. If you include tough and her and, and her amateur bouts. Um, but uh, just watching the one fight of tape that I was able to get on her opponent, uh, Duda Santana. Santana just kind of moves forward, with, like seems very tall. They both are. She just moves forward with offense constantly, whereas Bay just kind of doesn't take the pressure too well. And I know that she can get taken down, and maybe Duda won't necessarily do that, although she probably should try for it. Um, yeah, I, I favor Duda, who's raw on the feet, but just constantly pushes forward with offense. Devin Clark against Darko Stosic. Uh, kind of a prospect versus prospect bat, I, I suppose. Yeah. I, mean, I think Devin Clark's got more experience against top guys. And Definitely. For that reason alone, I'm going to pick him over over Darko Stosic. Um, yeah, Darko's not very busy at all, um, which worries me. But I think Devin is just like he's not durable. He can just get hit with a shot, and it's all over. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that Darko has okay conditioning. And can land a hard strike at some point in the first half of that bout, even though he's really timid, man. Like he doesn't throw a lot at all. I'm hoping Devin Clark gives him something to counter. Um, but yeah, we're, we differ on this one as well. 
five points of differentiation so far. Very interesting. Uh, the last fight, I could, I mean, you got a you got a Spaniard against an Italian guy. Two countries known for <laughs> for turning out all kinds of MMA stars. Um, I was be, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was I was trying to think of what MMA stars uh, these two countries have produced, and then yeah, no, not, not only is uh, not wait not which uh, not only is Danilo uh, Boardo who I quite believe of the two is the Italian. Um, <laughs> Uh, not only from an Italian fight camp, but it's not even the. It's not. I think it's even the one that Alessio Zaccara came from. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. There's there's a couple of decent Italian fighters, including the guy who just got a win over Tiago Alves. Uh, Italy's coming out with a couple of prospects. All right, I can goof on it because it's my you know it's my native land. Fair enough. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick uh, Joel Alvarez in this fight, um, but not for any not for any discernible reason. Yeah, um, Alvarez has got some like a lot of submissions over guys with pretty good records, um, like a lot of submissions. And I'm not necessarily like he looked decent in his UFC debut against Demir Smagulov, and like what he threw, he actually landed at an okay clip. He just didn't throw much and was kind of mystified by Demigul- uh, Demir's movement. Um, and Danilo, like he goes for and gets a lot of takedowns. Um, I think he seems to hit hard as well. I'm going to go with Joel Alvarez here, but I could certainly see it going the other way. I, I think Joel, like just the fact that he submitted all these Brazilian guys with like good records, um, concerns me a little bit when it comes to Danilo, who likes to get takedowns. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going with Alvarez, who you know survived, you know had a okay-ish competitive-ish fight against this Magulov, who's a pretty solid prospect, I think, at the division, standing at 18 and one, I think two or three and zero in the UFC. So we're on the same page on that one. We've got some we we we've got some differences in this snack. Yeah, we can't we can't draw. We've got five uh, five different yeah. picks. So, so what are our differences? Quickly? Tie it up again, or I will uh, increase my lead. Oh, we'll see about that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I guess I couldn't I couldn't get a lead on you on this uh, quite in this at this point. But the ones that we differ on are Fishgold Americani, um, Hadzovic Chiagos, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, we've got. Uh, yeah. Akman Kazdowski uh, versus Akman. You've got Akman. I've got I've got Sergey the Russian uh, on Avenger. We agree. Oh wait, maybe we only have four different ones. I had a different on Avenger, uh, and then we got I picked Devin Clark, and you picked Darko Stosik. So that's right. Okay, four. we could technically tie. We'll see. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think it's all that likely. Did you pick Stevie Ray or Leonardo Santos? Santos. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we've got we we've got four bouts in which we disagree. I'm excited and looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Do you have any bets in mind for this event, Nick? Not really. There's so many uh, there are so many nearly pick 'em fights um, on people with, who don't have a ton of tape. I suppose I suppose if I was gonna do uh, anything, I think the uh, my wild parlay would be an an underdog and two fa- two close favorites. Um, I would go Ojmadir and uh, Sungbin Joe, and I would partner. I would partner them up with a uh, a pick on uh, Makwan Amarkani. So you would you would do a three fight parlay in this case? Yep, Ojmadir, Amarkari, and Sungbin Joe. Can I suggest that you separate these into two parlays somehow? 
Okay. I feel like a three-fight parlay is just so darn risky, Nick. One guy slips on a banana peel or loses a split decision, and and the whole the whole thing is is screwed. Bananas are very expensive in Sweden, Stan. Are they really? I actually didn't know that. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I could go. I could go like Osmidir Amerkani, which mixes an underdog uh, and a close uh, a close favorite, um, and then and then Sunbin Joe. Uh, mixing that up with uh, a pick 'em fight like uh, like Frank Macacho or possibly uh, Eduard uh, Eduardo Santana. I hear that. Um, hey, what do you got? I, I yeah, I, I definitely like your parlay that you first mentioned with Ozdemir and Benjo. I just feel like with Benjo's size advantage and and Ozdemir's size advantage um, and, and the relatively close odds that could make for a nice parlay together. Um, I would uh, at Anthony Smith at plus two sixty five. I would probably put down ten bucks on it just because you'll win twenty six fifty and feel good about it, or lose ten and not really sweat at all. Um, and uh, yeah, th- there are a couple of parlays that I could put together, which I'll try and try and tweet, tweet or maybe get up on my Instagram before the fights happen. Um, but yeah, a, b- a bunch of very kind of close on paper fights at the bottom of the card, and a few a few more lopsided odds that should probably be closer. Uh, put in there. Um, I, I feel like Evinger's too risky to, 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 to put a bet on. Alexander Rakic, I would parlay him because I do believe in that guy with either either Gustafsson or Fishgold. Um, in fact, I might just do one of each as far as parlaying them. And uh, Sungbin Joe, on top of parlaying him uh, once, or, once or twice, I would place a straight bet on him at minus 145. I just feel like Tamor being 0-3 in the UFC and like at a big size disadvantage here gives Sung Bin uh, a decent chance although again Tamar is pretty athletic early um, but yeah not not super prepared for the for the betting part of this Nick but I will figure it out by, by week 10 because I'd like to get back to the betting game this week yeah so I'm working Saturday and I have a wedding at night so I'll be uh, I'll be catching these uh, after not necessarily live so you're probably on my phone you're saying it's out of the question to just have like uh, the ESPN open on your phone, kind of under the tablecloth, peeking down whenever you can. Maybe having an AirPod in one ear, Nick, is that doable? You think during this wedding? Uh, not at this point. No, no. This, is a, this is a good friend. It was a family wedding party. All right, that, that's <laughs> is part of the wedding party at all, or you just no? I'm, I'm not. I think I've mostly aged out of that until my friends start getting divorced and married again. <laughs> and then breathing and going again. Yeah, I, I've been uh, part of a bunch of weddings in my day, so I'm glad. To like, no matter how close we are, like, all of that time to this one. It's your night, and I'm excited about it, but I'm totally good. It was great. It was great.